it's all about who you know and it's not i'm not saying that in terms of like you need to have a network existing beforehand but you need to build a network start reaching out to any startup founder that has received funding and asking them to get on a phone and then introducing you to their investors and start reaching out to investors via any platform linkedin twitter instagram reach out and meet them so ask for a zoom call ask to get coffee and just you have to get to know them so you will talk to hundreds of people before you find investors i'm tom ward and over the last couple of years i've had the chance to sit down with some of the biggest celebrities and influencers in the world what i've always found most fascinating is the stories of the businesses that they've built behind the scenes on the show you'll get an inside look of what it takes to build a successful business from some of the biggest celebrities business people and up-and-coming entrepreneurs in the world this is the tom ward show Hey guys, welcome to the Tom Ward Show, where every week the most successful people in the world teach us how to elevate our lives. It's time to level up. Today we've got Natalie Barbu. She's a content creator. She's an entrepreneur. She's a podcaster. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I love the show, so I'm very honored to be here. Well, I'm honored to have you. And we were talking before, I'm sure you, you have a podcast, you get pitched people all the time. So do I, and most of them I don't even look at or reply to, but you stood out, and the reason why you stood out is because I think you're living every 20-something-year-old woman's dream, right? You're a content creator. Everybody wants to be a content creator. You're an entrepreneur. Like, that's the two things, not just women, men, like anyone in their 20s wants to do like and i saw you i i do homework for these things and i'm watching your tiktoks and stuff and i saw one it was like a day in the life one that did really well and i know why because you know you're in, in the morning you know she's got her she's working out she's got a workout in boom off to soho house got a cute little outfit doing a little work there then i got a call i'm gonna i'm gonna take the call off the beach i'm in miami i'm gonna do that and i'm watching this i go i want to be like her too so my <laughs> my question is like it's five o'clock there, your time right now. Like, what did you do today? What's an average day in Natalie's life like? Yeah, well, not every day I'm like at the beach and answering calls, but when I am, it makes for great content. So, but no, typically I always have my morning routine. So I always try to get like a workout in, try to, you know, have some time just for myself um, in the morning because just being an entrepreneur and working for yourself every single day is different and it comes with a lot of stress. So I do like having a routine in the morning that is kind of my sense of stability. Um, and then every day is different. So I try to time block where I try to have like certain days that are focused solely on marketing, certain days that are solely focused on, you know, reaching out to creators and our users and other days that are focused on like investors and prepping for the next round and fun like funding and um, financials and all of that. The next day focused on talking to other founders and networking and just building my network in general. So I try to have a main focus for every single day. Um, and then the second half of my day is always filled with like calls. So calls with people, I, I open it up um, to having calls, podcasts, meeting other people. So I try to have like the first half of my day be my me time where it's I have my routine and then I have my like main focus. And then the second half of the day, I'll open it up to calls and meeting people and networking. And, but every single day is, is different. You know, it's funny. And we'll talk more about like how being a content creator is almost a necessity as an entrepreneur, especially as a startup founder now, but like you've been in the game for a long time. Like you started creating content 2011 ish, right? Yep. Yeah. 2011. Were you in I was, high school. Yeah. Were, were I was in high 15. school or before? Wow. I, I was 15, so I was really young. 
What kind of stuff were you doing back then? I was focused on like life or fashion and beauty content mainly back then. So that's when I don't know if I mean, I'm sure this wasn't your demographic. But back then, it was a lot of girls that were in high school that were filming um, makeup videos, fashion videos, and just on their laptops, like it was really super low editing, like not a lot of effort back then. I mean, YouTube was in its early days. It was even before Instagram. So just to put it in perspective. Um, And so I was yeah, I was watching those videos and I was like, wait, those girls are similar to me. Like I could, I could do that. And that looks fun. And that's what I just enjoyed watching. And so I pulled out my laptop and put opened photo booth and filmed my first makeup tutorial and my first video. And I edited it on iMovie at the time. I watched like a quick video on how to do that. And then I uploaded it. And I remember I got three subscribers my first day that I uploaded And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe three people wanted to watch this. Like, I was so happy. I I remember I did a giveaway after I hit 100 subscribers because that was like a huge deal to me. And so it's funny looking back at like the numbers that mattered back then, but it was just so new because this was before, I mean, Facebook was around then and I had a Facebook, but that was for your friends. Like this was the first time I was putting myself on the internet and like, strangers were reacting to it and and commenting and following and I just became hooked on like that community part of it because I had never experienced anything like that and so I just kept making content and it evolved over time like I don't really do fashion I mean I post like outfits and stuff but I don't post like that's not my main form of content it's not like beauty and fashion it's more just like my life and so it's evolved to that but that was like what got me hooked was the like community part of it from the beginning now, so it's different now if you go to high school and you're creating content, so is everybody else, right? Everybody wants to blow up on TikTok, so it's not a weird thing. But back in 2011, I'm I'm old. I remember 2011. It wasn't a career path yet. It wasn't – the word influencer wasn't even really around. It was YouTuber, and that's kind of – but even that was like in an, in its infancy. What did the kids at high school think about that? Like you talk about community online, but like – I'm sure there's haters at your school going, what is she doing? Like, who cares? Like, who does she think she is? Did you get that kind of like negative feedback? Totally. I was so, one, I never wanted anyone from my high school to find out. Like, I really tried to keep it a secret because I knew that it was strange. Um, And back then, it wasn't a career path. Like, no one was really making money off of it. So for me to just want to do this as a hobby was also strange because it was like there was no reward, quote unquote, in the monetization. Like nowadays, when people post on social media, it's like, oh, she wants to be an influencer because she knows influencers make a lot of money makes sense. But back then no one was making money. So it was purely because I just like loved doing it. And so people definitely made fun of me when they found out like it was I would I remember people would watch the videos and like quote them at school. You know, it was like (sighs) they would like make fun and like quote it another day at school or there was like a a group hangout where they would like pull up my videos and like watch them and laugh and it definitely affected me as, I mean, a 17, 17-year-old, 16-year-old, 15-year-old, you know, that was definitely hard. But once I got to college, I realized I was like, if these people, like, we're adults now, we're older, like, if you're an adult, and you're still caring about what I do, then you're pathetic. And so I, I just like switched my attitude about, I want to do this, because I really like it. 
And at that point, people started making money off of it. So I could kind of say to people if they thought it was weird, I'm like, well, I'm making money off of it. So whatever. But I just truly <laughs> loved it. Like I never did it for the money. I really just did it because I loved it. But when I got older, I was like, whatever, I'm going to I'm going to embrace this and I'm going to post about it and I'm going to be proud of it. And I'm, I'm really glad I did that because it definitely has opened up so many doors. Oh, for sure. When when did you start? Did you start making like decent money? When did you get a big enough following where you could make some money in, in college? You continued creating content. Yeah. So once I when I got to school, I remember I got my first brand deal, I think, when I was like a freshman in college. So and right. it was for like 50 bucks, like it was not a lot of money at all. By the time I graduated college, though, I was making um, decent money, not enough to do it full time by the time I graduated. So I did have to like get a job after college and um, work for a, I worked for a consulting company, but I was able to quit my job nine months after I started. So it was like fairly it was it was pretty exponential. Like once I started making decent money, it was quick enough where I could quit within less than a year. Well, before we even get there, I, I read, I forget, I'm, I'm a guy, I don't, I don't know, but you were like one, you were sponsored by some brand and you were the, this brand's girls. What was the brand? And you got uh, sent to Fiji with like Emma Chamberlain's there, um, like all these big influencers, like you're there with them. Are you in college at the time? And what was the brand? I, I don't remember. Yes, it was a very infamous <laughs> trip. It was um, Dote is what it was called. They don't exist okay. anymore. It was a startup. It was um, a startup that their strategy was smart. They would take a bunch of influencers and send them to these like really cool trips and these cool places. And then the, these influencers would like be posting all week long about this company. And then everyone else wanted to be a Dote girl. Like they wanted to be a part of that because you would get on all these, go to all these like cool places. So I, I went to the Fiji, which was a very, like, everyone talked about that trip because it was Emma Chamberlain, Olivia Jade, like all of these big influencers were on this trip, um, which is funny that I went because I really was not big at the time, but I was, I was, I was like middle, I guess I would say compared to like some of the girls there. But no, it was really funny that like, I got to go on that trip because it yeah, it was like these huge celebrities now, honestly, like Emma Chamberlain is on the cover of Vogue. Like that's yeah. crazy. Um, so I, th that was, um, after college I had just graduated. So I was 22 years old. Yeah. So it was so right it was after before, my senior year. Was it when you were working as a consultant yet, or was it kind of like in that time period, like before it was the summer, it was the summer before. So I was, um, it was like right before I started working. Okay. So <laughs> I, I've been to Fiji. I went there on my honeymoon. Beautiful place. Um, I also worked in corporate America for 20 years, so I kind of know the vibe there too. So what's it like? Hey, I'm, I'm chilling. I'm in Fiji. <laughs> you know, I'm with, I'm with the most popular girls on the internet, basically, right? Like I'm here. And then all of a sudden you're like back to reality. It's like, okay, I'm a consultant now, I guess. And can you even like when I was working at corporate America, I couldn't say like I interviewed, I'll never forget. I interviewed Paris Hilton. Okay. But I was on conference calls. I was, I sold industrial equipment, right? So this thing broke and I'm on conference calls, like five conference calls about this broken piece of equipment, like all day. And then I have to go to Paris Hilton's house to interview her. And like, I couldn't tell any of my coworkers that cause that was like a fucking outer space. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean you're going there? Like, it doesn't even make sense. Could you, I'm sure your coworkers, you could not relate to you going to Fiji and hanging out and getting paid for it. Like, so did you have to keep your world separate? 
Yeah. So I, I, I didn't want to make the mistake that I made, like when I was in high school of not sharing it and hiding that part of myself and like not being open about it because it was such a big part of who I was, especially when I was 22 years old. And so I actually used it as like in any interview that I had on every, you know, any employer that I had talked to, I like made sure that they knew that I did this because okay. I knew that it would affect work at some point. Like I might have to take time off or I might, I mean, I didn't say that because I don't think I would have gotten hired, but you know, I wanted them to know about it. And so, and I used more. it as more of like, this is a skill set of mine. And like, this is what I've learned from doing this. So all of everyone at work knew about it and they all followed me on Instagram and like saw what I was doing. Um, oh, cool. I definitely tried not to like talk about it that much though. Like I didn't want that to be like an attention thing or I didn't want to like discuss it. Cause it is like, weird you know like you're it's just not something you want to like talk about and i don't even like talking about it now to people like i'm like people ask me what i do i'm like eh, i'm like a content creator and i'm also the founder you know it's like hard for me to like talk about because it's still a sure. little weird and the word influencer does get a negative connotation sometimes but it was definitely like i remember i before i had quit my job i took um eight pto days so i went to coachella i went to la like with the brand like i was like doing all of this like my influencer double life and then i came back and i actually quit my job so they, they like knew that i was they just they knew that i was like it's coming gonna quit soon yeah but they were super supportive like all my managers were great i think i i mean i made sure that when i was at work i was like only a, like in work mode Sure. Um, so it was never like an issue, but they knew from the start, which made it a lot easier. I didn't have to kind of like hide it or anything like that. Talk about because, you know, you watching this or listening to this probably would like to be a content creator and would like brand deals, right? That's how you start making money. Everybody wants brand deals. It seems like you had the hustle, the drive or whatever to figure it out to get that $50 brand deal, which is not easy when you're starting out to get that first 50 bucks, first hundred bucks is not easy to do. And like you said, somehow you managed to go on that trip with Olivia Jade and Emma Chamberlain who are way bigger than you, but somehow you got there. Like there was no one managing you, I'm guessing at the time. Like, so what was your strategy um, on getting brand deals? And like, how can the person watching this, you, how can you get brand deals? Yeah, I think one thing that I always talk about that I think is understated and like undervalued is actual personal connections with these agencies and with these brands and just being someone that's top of mind for them, even if your numbers don't necessarily reflect that. Obviously, you need to have an engaged community. Like I think no matter how great you are as a person, like if your community is not engaged, this is they need to get, you know, a return on their investment if they're working with you. So you you have to have an engaged, loyal community. But I that doesn't necessarily mean you have a lot of followers. I think having an engaged community that cares about your life, that's invested in you, that cares about your opinion, is so much more valuable than just having a million followers. So I never want to focus on like the actual numbers. I think it's more about how many people care about you. Are people responding to your stuff? Are people invested in your life? Are people, do the people trust you in your audience? And then once you have that, even if it's a small number, even if it's like you don't have that many followers, start reaching out to brands and PR agencies and people that work with these companies that are sourcing for influencers and just start getting to know them as people. Like if this is a, a very like human industry where, you know, it's, it's, 
other people that are scouting influencers that are choosing to work with them. It's not an algorithm right now. And so I just had like really great relationships with these brands by just reaching out to them, going to lunch with them. Like whenever I was in LA or New York, I would ask them to get coffee. I would ask them to get lunch. Even if, if it's just someone wow. that works at an agency, like I would just like try to meet them in person because they're searching on their phone all day or on their computer all day, trying to find like the right influencers and, you know, trying to find people that fit their metrics. And it's really hard for them to also source influencers. So if they actually know you and have a personal connection with you, you're always going to be top of mind. So by actually meeting them in person or getting on a Zoom call or doing something like that, that's a little bit more than just an email helps so much. And I think agencies help because agencies represent a ton of different brands. So like if you meet one person at an agency, she might have 10 clients and that's 10 potential brand deals that she can source you to. So I think going that extra mile and it, it might not scale as well, like you can't meet with a hundred people versus you can send a hundred emails, but just getting those personal connections is helpful. And the world of social media and this like PR world is very small. So people will ask for recommendations and then your name should hopefully come up in a room if you're a professional and you're nice. And I've gotten a lot of brand deals that way, just from like personal connections and same with like the dope trip. I met with the founders. I knew the founders. I had a really good connection with them. They were super sweet. They, you know, like I, I really liked them and they liked me. And I think that's why I got invited on that trip. Like, I don't think it's because my numbers were super high and I was like super famous. I think it's because I had an engaged audience, even if it was smaller and I knew them. Like I, I made an effort to actually get to know them personally. And I think that's no one talks about doing that. It's all about like sending the perfect pitch email. But there's something really invaluable about like just getting on a phone call, getting on a Zoom, going to lunch and and meeting them in person. How do you even find okay, how do we find those agencies that represent brands? You know, how does someone even know where to start? LinkedIn. I LinkedIn is like your best friend with this. I use LinkedIn all the time to find like anyone. Like I look right now for Rella, I'm trying to meet with a bunch of like talent managers and agencies and onboard them. And I'm just like looking on LinkedIn and using keywords and putting the location that I'm traveling to. And that's how I find anyone. Like that's how I found investors. That's how I find agencies. That's how I found PR people. And if you go on there, you look up like public relations, influencer marketing, whatever, you'll, you'll find where they work. And then you can look the website up and see like all the clients. And usually it said like, it'll say like all of the brands that they represent. And it's a good way to just like start emailing people and meeting them. You know, LinkedIn is so funny. I do the same thing. I mean, I, you know, I want to work with this brand. I go, I have a spreadsheet, I have a Google doc and, you know, brand X. And then I go creep LinkedIn, you know, in private mode and look at everybody I can find. And then, you know, find contact information. And it really is. And don't, don't sleep on LinkedIn. Like you, you treat it seriously, like as you would as your, you know, grid on Instagram, you know, maybe it's even more important because brands are going to look there and you don't want some shitty LinkedIn page, but you're asking them for, $5,000 a post and you know, your resume is not even updated on there, you know, so take it seriously because that is where the brands and the companies are for sure. Yeah, no, I, I use LinkedIn for everything. Like I am, <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, like sometimes more than I am on like Instagram. Like I really think it's so underused and like undervalued. And now I know that they're doing even like a lot of there, I don't know if they have a fund for creators, but they're trying to amplify creators on LinkedIn. And sure. so that's going to be my next 
effort is to like start posting more on LinkedIn and actually being like a creator on there because I think it's so nice. so important. Well, speaking, okay, let's make the transition from creator to entrepreneur, right? So my first question to you is, okay, you've already achieved the dream. You're a full-time creator at what, 22? You get to quit the corporate job. You're doing it. Who needs a company? Like, why not just continue to go on trips, continue to get great, great brand deals? What inspired Rella? Like, what even, was there a problem in your life that you needed to solve? Like, what led to that? Yeah. So you're right. I definitely didn't necessarily like need to start a company in terms of like I was doing social media full time. I was making more money on social media than I was like every year I was making more than the previous one, which was great. I was, you know, doing well with that, but I've always been someone who has wanted to do more than just like be a content creator. I always viewed social media as a tool to open doors and like a platform for me to do something else. And so I never wanted to just like start a business for the sake of starting a business. So for a few years, I was just doing social media. I did some freelance work with like, I would help creators grow on social media and do like consulting with them. I worked with brands where I was, you know, helping them source creators. I tried to like dip my toe in every aspect of the influencer industry to see what I really enjoyed doing. And so once I I, I, I had this like light bulb moment where I was getting so frustrated because I had a brand deals, I had multiple streams of income, I was a full-time creator, I was planning out my content, and then I was working with other creators that I was noticing they had the same problem of just like being disorganized of, with all of these different like streams of income and all of these different things that they were touching. Like they were using the notes on their phone, spreadsheets for tracking their income, project management tools for brand deal deliverables, planning out their content calendar on different apps. And I was like, why is there nothing that helps creators specifically with this? Like that has everything in one place instead of all these different tools that they're piecing together that they're way more disorganized, way more inefficient with. And so that was kind of the moment when I was like, why don't I build this? Like how hard can it be to build something like this? And yes, so yeah. I, exactly. So I'm, I'm a very impulsive person where like, once I have an idea, I just like need to act on it and I want to get it done. So I put together a list of what I wanted this app to look like and like what I wanted it to, all the features I wanted it to have that would help me as a creator that I was really in need for and I couldn't find elsewhere. And then I started talking to developers and started like trying to see how much would this cost to build and like, what does it take to build something like this? And so that was just like why I started it was one, it was a pain point for me and it was something I really wanted, but I also knew that I always wanted to start a business and I just needed that like light bulb moment and that opportunity to come to me. I didn't just want to like start it to start it. So once I got like that first initial feeling of, oh, this could, this is something that I really need and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I kind of just like jumped right into it. Now you were in a better position than most because you've got a following and you know how to create content. So tell us why now, even more than when you started, how important it is for entrepreneurs to be creating content somewhere. Now, it doesn't necessarily need to be a TikTok 30 second video, could be a post on LinkedIn, could be whatever. But tell us why that's important and how being a creator has helped you, you know, with your business, whether it's funding or marketing or anything else. Yeah, I definitely think that every single founder and small business now, for the most part, needs to kind of become a creator in the sense of they need to be on social media as a brand, um, because that's where people find you now. That's where 
people are, it's the best way for people to find you, I think, and for people to feel a connection to your brand more than just like seeing an ad on Facebook or Instagram or in the paper. So um, in terms of like, why did you ask how, why that helped me or why that's so important? Sorry, I like well, forgot bo- the question. Both. It's actually, I threw two questions at you, right? Why is it important now for young entrepreneurs or founders, but also how that's helped you and your business career and your startup? Yeah. So one, I think it's so important just for people to, to, for you to build in public because nowadays people feel connections to other people people instead of just a brand like i think brand loyalty mattered so much more in like the 90s the early 2000s the you know when like these big name brands like coca-cola or walmart or whatever and obviously i'm not saying that like those brands are going to go obsolete but i'm saying (laughs) brand name mattered way more like that's just what I'm, i'm trying to say with that whereas now especially the new generation they're paying more attention to who is behind the company what does this company stand for what what's the story behind it and you see that with like new let's say let's use a beverage company like poppy for example poppy is a company that they blew up on social media because of the founder's story not because of just the name poppy itself it was because the founder went on and talked about why she started this brand and so i think that it's so important to have this have a platform where you can control your own narrative and you can put out any, you know, you can you can share your story from a personal standpoint, but also you can just share like anything funny to connect with like the new generation. Like you can use trending audios and trending sounds and just create your own story for what you want like people to see and, and what you want your brand to represent. And so building in public is really important, I think, for that. And just like showcasing your product and your story is really important for that brand loyalty. Um, and then for me, it was it was definitely easier because I had a following already. So I decided I was like, instead of just doing this one big announcement of guess what guys, I launched an app surprise. I wanted to build in public and show it, show the entire process because I wanted my community to feel like they were a part of the company. Like I wanted them to give feedback in real time. I wanted them to be a part of the beta group. I wanted them to hear about, you know, like how I'm going to find my co-founders and Oh, okay. Now we finally like became an official company and we hired our first person. And I wanted them to see all of that because, but by, by the time that we did launch, I had already been talking about it for months. They already knew what it was. They already had an idea of what it was. They were excited for it. And so when we launched, we had hundreds of people share on social media. We had, you know, posting on their stories. We got on the Apple charts um, for, for um, apps and on the app store. Like it was such a successful launch because I had talked about it so much. And by the time we did launch, my community was like, oh my God, finally, like I've been watching the process for so long. I've given direct feedback to this. I've maybe some of them have, were in in groups to test it before it ever launched, you know? So it was just cool to see that like they were, they honestly, it felt like they were just as excited as like we were to launch this because they had been seeing it for so long. And so it was something that I think is like, it helped us tremendously by like showcasing it and posting about it before we ever launch. And I think it's never too late to do that as a brand. Like you see even these huge brands on like TikTok doing like, I don't know, United Airlines is doing like funny TikToks and Duolingo is showing their office. And obviously like the owl is so funny and like, you know, showing the behind the scenes. And I think that 
resonates with people now way more than like a high production, high value advertisement that people are just going to scroll past and like not trust. You know, and I think you had the right attitude. It's tricky though. So like I looked at your TikTok, you're a creator, you care about numbers. You want as many people to like it, as many people to watch it as possible. We all do, right? And any, you know, anybody who creates something wants as many people to like it as possible. But so you go from, you know, an alpha of the day post is going to do X because you posted them, you know, kind of what they do. And you know, these, if I do these three kinds of posts, they're going to get this, you know, kind of engagement. But now you're going, hey, I'm going to give you behind the scenes and I'm starting this company and stuff. It's not, it, I looked, it's not as popular as those other posts, right? So do you have to, do you have to go like stop looking short term and go, who the fuck cares if this got 50% of engagement as a normal post? I'm trying to get somebody to check out the app in a month. Like just des- mm-hmm. describe how your mentality has to change from just post another outfit that I know is going to get, you know, thousands of likes, but who cares? So I'm only going to get 200 likes for this behind the scenes. I'm talking about the app I'm developing with engineers. 90, not as many people are going to give a fuck, but the 200 that do, they're more valuable. They're more important because they're along for the ride. Like talk about that, how you have to have the right mentality and not worry about post by post what's going on. Totally. And I'm someone that like, I don't niche down. Like if you look, my content's kind of scattered where like, it's like, yeah, about me building an app and working as a tech tech founder. And then here's my outfit. And then here's like a cute photo and here's my morning routine. And it's just very all over the place. I, I like to think that it's not as all over the place as I made it sound. I think it's, I have like content pillars that I, I like things to fall into, but overall I'm like, it has to do with my life and my community is growing up with me. And so that's why I'm creating a more loyal audience, even if the numbers aren't as high because they've gone through so many different stages of my life and they feel like I'm a friend at this point. Like, it's not just like, ah, I need like a finance advice. Let me go watch this one financial YouTuber. Okay, good. I got the value I needed and now I'm going to leave. I, they're like invested in me. And so they trust me and they want to hear more about me and they want to hear about how the app is doing or, oh, I I actually wanted to know how your trip was last week. Like, let me see that, you know, so it's, it's not the biggest audience and it's not going to reach everyone and not, and you know, someone that cares about how, you know, my personal life is going might not care as much about what, what it's like to be a founder because they're not a founder. So they don't really care. And that's okay. If that doesn't get a lot of views, I just know that the person that cares about the founder content and about like the social media content is really, they like are clicking on that because they really care about it and they're invested in me. So they're going to then actually convert into to be a user like Ferella is kind of like how I see it. So even if it doesn't get a lot of views, if someone's watching that specific content, that means that they really want they like they that's really valuable to them. So especially with YouTube, because TikTok, the algorithm will feed videos to you. YouTube, someone has to actually like click on it and decide that they want to watch that video. So even if it doesn't do as well because not as many people care about it, the people that do care are you know, they, they're more valuable, like you said, in terms of like what I'm trying to get. So like conversion and, and app downloads and, and users for that. And then they get invested as well. So it's kind of like a two for one where, you know, not most people that care about like fashion, beauty, personal stuff, they're not really going to care about like the technical founders side of things. And that's fine. That's why those do better. But if they care about, you know, the day in the life as a technical founder, I'll get them in there. I'll get them to become a user. And then they're probably going to become invested in my personal life as well. So then 
they feed into that, like the other content too. So it's kind of like a funnel I view it as. Like yeah. this is the general content and then the more specific content is for specific people, but they are like very valuable for what I'm trying to get. Now, I usually don't look at notes, but I wanted to get this right. You said, because this is really the key of everything you've talked about in the last half hour, half hour. you said opening up was the key to growing on YouTube. And it sounds like opening up and like you said, sharing in public, another way to say that is what's made you successful on social, but also, you know, with your app and kind of in the tech startup world too. What advice do you have for the person who goes, yeah, okay, I get it, but her life's way more interesting than mine. I mean, your life's more interesting than, than mine. My life is pretty boring on a normal day. It's kind of the same thing, right? So if somebody goes, okay, I'm working on this thing, but you know, I get up the same time every day. I eat the same lunch. I hang out with the same people. Like no one's going to care. Like what advice do you have for them? Cause they have to do it, but like, how do they make it interesting? Yeah. Well, I actually disagree that no one will care because I think a lot of people care about the mundane stuff, but all of us think that no one cares about it. You know, like my day in the life videos or weekend in my life videos will do better than a travel vlog because in traveling, you would think is more interesting. Like, oh, you're going to such yeah. cool places. Like, I want to see that. But really the mundane content is the stuff that does better. And I think it's wow. because people like to relate to other people and they want to find that relatable content but you also have to provide value you know you can't just say like okay i'm waking up i'm brushing my teeth i'm eating i'm going into the gym i'm doing like that's boring so you have to find something that makes you relatable and unique so for example when i was in college i instead of just doing a generic day in the life of a college student i was like okay what is something that like people might find like people might find interesting i was an engineering student in school so it's like okay i'll do day in the life of an engineering student that way anyone that wants to be an engineering student they find that and they're like oh relatable let me watch that i showed the same stuff like i didn't show specific engineering content really it was just i used that as kind of the hook to be like follow me because i you relate to me because we have this in common so when i lived in new york city i would always post like New York City, day in the life, whatever, because people that wanted to move to New York or people that live in New York care about that. And so they'll watch that. So just find something. So like, even if you're, you know, if you're building a company, that's unique, that's relatable to other people that are building a company if you want to attract them. So put that in the title, put that as like the main hook, you know, or if even if you work in corporate America, when I worked in as a consultant, I would always do like day in the life as a consultant. I never showed what I did at work. Like I, I wasn't allowed to. So like I, I was never vlogging at work, but because I had that like attribute that was relatable, pe people wanted to watch it. So that's kind of like, I always say like, find the one thing that makes you relatable and a little bit more like specific to other people. And then people actually do like the mundane stuff way more than the super interesting stuff. Like I love wow. watching what someone does at their house all day. And I don't know why I would love for someone to explain why we like that, but those videos always do well. And I think if you look at your own patterns of like what you watch, I feel like a lot of times people watch people that they feel like some sense of like similarity to or something sure. relatable to them. So don't say that your day is not interesting because everyone, everyone has to start there. You know, not everyone starts it, with like, like, Oh, look at my extravagant life. Like, I feel like people don't start like that. You know, it's funny and you oh, hold on, hold on one second. No worries. 
Sorry, I was waiting for a package that needed to be signed for, but my wife's here. She got it. Um, yeah, no worries. But you're right. You know, the, what I like the worst season on social media for me that I hate the most is Coachella because <laughs> it's like I can't relate to the life at all. You see these people in these $50,000 tents for the weekend. Everybody's super hot. Everybody's having hanging with celebrities and stuff. Everybody's posting pictures with the same fucking backdrop. I hate it. Right. But you're yep. right. Like, I would rather see, like, I, like that TikTok video of you, you know, your day in Miami as a startup founder. I'm like, well, cool. like, I'm invested now. It's like, cool. She got her workout in. All right. Good for her. Right. She's, she's at Soho House doing things, taking care of business. Like, all right. Okay. I'm along for the ride. So that, that makes sense. I would have guessed the opposite. I would have guessed mm-hmm. a Coachella post would do better than your, you know, engineering student day in the life stuff. But it, but it makes sense now that I think about it. Yeah, I think it's just we think that no one cares about what we have to say. And like, I struggle with that so much. Even today, I'm like, I'm like, who cares about, you know, what I'm doing today? I've literally been sitting at my desk for eight hours, whatever, you know, I'm like, this is so boring. But though that though, that content does so well, because people want to just like, see how they can improve their day to day lives, or they want to see how other people do it to compare it, or they just want to watch it and keep it on in the background as like background noise, but they're still like getting invested in you. So I think that does always does better than these like super extravagant, like videos that are, you know, crazy, like people just want to view like watch people and then think that they're their friends and like feel like they're their friends. You know, and there's I, there's the best example of that that I saw this week, and I I can't remember the channel's name. I'll put it in the description below, right? But I'm a music nerd, and you know, I watch these YouTube videos about making of you know this album or you know how this band got started. Like I'll watch all those videos, and there's this guy who does them, but he does them like documentary style, so he's just the voice narrating it, right? So I saw his face in the thumbnail like this week, and I'm like wait, that's the fucking guy. So I watched the video and basically he was saying like a lot of people kept asking like for me to show, you know, tell more about myself or like share what's going on in my life. And you could tell he's like, I'm nervous. You could tell like he was not comfortable being on camera at all. He was not good. Right. But it was his first time, but it made him so endearing to me. Like, I'm like, I, I want to, I'm going to watch all his videos now, but before if it would show up and recommended, like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, I remember that guy from two months ago when I watched the video. Now that I know the guy behind it, like I'm rooting for him even more. So it totally makes sense what you're saying. You're right. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of celebrities, if you see what celebrities are doing now, it's funny because they're trying to be more relatable on social media. So you see like <laughs> Haley Bieber is doing like in, having like get ready with me is in her bathroom and showing like a vlog in her like house and trying to appear like super relatable on YouTube, which is cool to see that they're like trying to kind of imitate these, what these influencers have been doing for so long. But I think they're realizing that that is what people care about, you know, is people care about the day to day and that's what gets people to like, like you. And that's what gets people to actually care about what you're doing. Like when we launched Rella, people, like were that were watching me it felt like there were so many friends supporting me you know it didn't feel like just like random followers like if i was just a random person that launched an app i'm obviously random people launch apps all the time and you can do it but i i would not have that the launch that i had where we had hundreds of people 
supporting it and sharing it and texting me and DMing me. And I think when you are on social media, you also have to view that as like, you have to take care of your community too. So like every single person that shared Rella that day, I sent a personalized video. Like I just recorded a video and like DM'd it to them saying thank you because that meant so much to me that they would like share that. And it took a long time. It was like the whole day I was just like recording videos and sending them to people. But even doing that, no matter what size of creator you are, like you can do that. You can take a few minutes or an hour out of your day and just start responding to people and DMing them because you're not a celebrity. At least most people aren't. And like you do have that time and it just like shows that you're a real person. And then I think it builds a stronger community. It's kind of like when I go out to lunch and coffee with these agencies for brand deals, I think like personal connections matter so much in this industry and it doesn't scale at the same rate as posting a story to reach 60,000 people. But even if you just reach a hundred people, those 100 people will then talk about you. They'll recommend you. They'll be the most loyal people. They'll share your stuff, which will reach more people. And it's kind of like, the um i don't know if you like have followed the paul graham's like yc blog or anything but like the doing things that don't scale for mm-hmm. startups it's like when you're first starting a company you should do things that don't scale and i think it's the same for like your personal brand like do things that don't necessarily make sense it's not the smartest thing to do in terms of like it's not going to reach the most amount of people but the people that it does reach it's like going to be so important and so valuable and that's what's going to help you cultivate like a long lasting community for sure so talk about the podcast. You're a fellow podcaster. So when did you, first of all, how do you even have time and why, like why, how long have you been doing it for? Yeah, I've been doing it's it for- It's The Real I Real, believe- we should say is the name of the podcast, right? Yes. The Real Real Podcast. Um, I've been doing it, I believe for four years now. And it started just like, I wanted to interview friends of mine that had cool stories that inspired me that I felt like social media showed the highlight reel of everyone's life. And I just wanted to interview the, I just want to show the real real of like the behind the scenes of people's lives. And I had a platform, so I wanted to use my platform to kind of amplify them and, and share their stories because they were so inspiring to me. So that's how it started. And then I started interviewing other entrepreneurs and creators and um, sh- trying to get their behind the scenes, like not the highlight reel, like what don't they share on social media and get, you know, the behind the scenes of their work. And it's been so fun. And now it's kind of shifted to still doing that, like still interviewing people, but also showing the the real real of like navigating your adulthood and your 20s and the behind the scenes of building a business and more of an extension of um, not necessarily my personal life, but an extension of just like if, if you're a friend, this kind of being like a, a, a friend that people listen to um, and then makes again like that relatable aspect where I hope to be a relatable voice to to the my listeners and a lot of them are navigating their 20s and adulthood similar to me um and so i've been interviewing other people that are around that same demographic and and then sharing more of my like personal self on the podcast too you know I, my wife's cousins a lot are in the 20s and they, she has a, a more female cousins than male and they all complain about dating you know in especially in la like are you in a relationship or are you dating now no, I um, am single for like the first time in pretty much like 10 years um, last year. So this is my first single year. So I've definitely talked a lot about that on the podcast, <laughs> too, which has been fun. <laughs> so what, you know, what's the problem? Like, why is this? I'm so out of touch, right? So what's so tough about being single in your 20s now? Actually, specifically, how about this? What, how is it for a young, successful content creator and founder 
how hard is it to date? Like, what are the struggles that you face? Yeah, I think so. I, I, again, like I said, I haven't been single. So it was my first time too coming out of, you know, relationships. I was like, whoa, this is what dating is like nowadays. Um, so I got on, you know, the apps, I think only one app, but I think it's, it's just hard because I think with social media now, there are so many options. Like you just are always thinking about the next thing. And I think now with everyone showing their highlight reel on social media, there's just so many people that you don't even need to meet them in real life. You don't even need to know them in real life. And they're considered like an option for people. So I think people just have like no sense of commitment anymore or no sense of like, like, uh, am I going to really just talk to one person? I think that's been just like an overall generational issue. And I think it's like men and women. I don't think it's subjected to just like one gender, but I think that's what makes it super difficult. And social media, just you're constantly scrolling and constantly seeing other people's lives. And because so many people, even going back to what we were talking about with like relatability on social media, so many people now show this like highlight reel, but they make it sound like it's like their day-to-day relatable life. And like, I'm guilty of that too. Like I don't go to Soho house every day and go to the beach. Like that's not my day-to-day every single day life, but then when people are scrolling and if you're single and you're dating, you're like, oh, I can envision myself like with that person living that sort of lifestyle. And so I think it just clouds people's judgment and people want to like bounce around and hop around and not have like any sense of commitment. So I think it's, I think social media plays like a huge role in, in the issues with dating today. Any mistakes you see guys making, like any tips for guys dating on the apps? Like what are they doing wrong? like I am still more traditional in the sense of like I want a guy to message first and talk first like I just like if someone doesn't message me first then I'm not even gonna like say anything because there's no point so I think I'm more of like a traditional person in that sense so I would say like stick to that and like just be a little bit more traditional quote-unquote in the sense of like being like taking initiative and being I I don't want to say aggressive because aggressive is not the right word, but taking initiative (laughs) and do not be aggressive, take initiative and (laughs) just be like normal. Like don't use any like weird lines or like, I don't know, just be normal and ask questions. That's another thing. A lot of, I mean, men from my experience just don't ask any questions. Like it's like, I, I'm like, how do you have a conversation and like not ask someone about themselves? Like, I don't understand. (laughs) Maybe it's the podcast host in me where I'm like always asking people questions, but I don't understand how people just like can have a conversation and speak about themselves and like not ask a single question back when you're trying to get to know to someone. So I think that's another big one. Well, yeah. And this is for men and women, I guess, you know, like when people would complain to me who are dating and they're like, Oh, we didn't have anything to talk about. Or like, I didn't know what to say. I'm like, just ask her a question. Like, how was your day today? Or like, how did you get this job? Or like, I don't know, fucking anything. Just ask like normal questions. Like, are you curious? Like I'm a naturally curious person. So like, I generally want to know that about people. Like maybe people aren't, I don't know. I'm a podcast host. I ask questions. So maybe, maybe we're weird. I know. I'm like, I feel like that comes very naturally to me is to ask a question. Like I would feel uncomfortable if I didn't like do that and get to know someone. And I am genuinely curious. And then if someone's, if you're getting asked a question, a natural way, if you don't have anything, you can't think of anything is just ask the same question back to them. Like, what about you? Yeah. <laughs> get that conversation going. It's really not hard. <laughs> like, no. 
It's funny. Hey, I was going to ask you one more question, too. I've got two daughters. I'm a girl dad. And we saw Barbie over the weekend, which uh, have you seen it? Yes, I did. And I was a big Barbie girl growing up. I loved Barbies. Oh, nice. I Uh. cried like half a dozen times in it. Like just I especially because I've got daughters. So I have an eight year old and I I've played hundreds of hours of Barbie with her. But then she got to the age around seven where it's like, I don't want to play Barbies anymore. So like that scene where the mom's like giving the old Barbies away, it's just like, oh, my God, <laughs> I just it's... cried like a little kid. <laughs> but my thought, my question to you is, what as a young female founder, like what were your thoughts about the movie? Like how, what was your takeaways? Yeah, I actually, my last podcast, I like talked about this a lot. I like talked about mm-hmm. like my thoughts of just like the woman experience because I think the Barbie movie touched on a lot of that. Um, I loved the movie, not only as someone who like played with Barbies growing up, there were so many references to old dolls and like just playing with them as a kid that I just really loved because it was felt very nostalgic to me. But also the part of you know, you don't need to fit into a certain box. I think that's something that I have always said is I have been someone who I've always worked in traditionally like male dominated fields. Like I was an engineering student. I was one of the only girls like in my classes, you know, it was not, it was very, very male dominated. Um, when I worked at Accenture, I was also in a field, like I was in, I was a technology analyst there and my project was also very male dominated. And now being a tech founder, and with, you know, dealing with investors, dealing with the other technical founders, going to tech networking events, like I'm one of the only girls always in the room. And so I've always dealt with that. But I'm also the other side of me is I love fashion. I love makeup. I love so I like social media. I like showing, you know, what I'm wearing and and talking about like more girly things. And usually those two don't go hand in hand. Like it was very surprising when I would tell people I was an engineering student, or it's very surprising when I tell people I'm a founder of a tech company because I don't fit that necessarily like the mold that people expect when they hear that. And so going back to that movie, I just love that. It's like, you don't need to fit that mold. Like you can be girly and like into more feminine things and still be intelligent and, you know, be a founder and run a business and start something or work in a male dominated field. And that's okay. Like the, they, those two do not need to be opposites and they don't need to like juxtapose each other. Like, I think that you can be both and you can be good at both things or, or not good at the girly things, but you know, you can like that and still be like yeah. a smart person. And I think that that in society and in media isn't portrayed very well. You know, the thing that jumped out at me was uh, the part where like her Barbie uh, without it was not really spoiler, right? But Barbie's world's falling apart. And I forget which who she was talking to, but she's like, uh, you know, I'm not a pilot. I don't know how to fly a plane. I'm not a Supreme Court justice. You know, she didn't have all these crazy jobs that the other Barbies had. She was just like traditional Barbie, you know? And I related to that. I think most people can because we look at everybody else killing it, right? Everybody's killing on social media. This one's going on this trip. This one's a successful founder. This one's doing that. And then me, I look at them all and go, shit, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do mm-hmm. that. <laughs> and, and you kind of feel bad about yourself. But what I've found in my life is that I think everybody has a gift of some kind. Now, mm-hmm. I wish I could play in the NBA, right? Unfortunately, that ain't my gift, right? It took me a long time to realize the only thing I'm really good at is talking with people, which 
it's not a bad skill to have in sales and dating and podcasting, right? It comes in handy. Um, so we don't get to pick ours, but I think eventually everybody has something that they're better than most people at. Like, would you agree with that? Oh, totally. I, I'm definitely with you with everyone has a gift and it doesn't matter how small you think that gift is. Like you said, it's just talking to people. Like that's a huge, if you like talking to people, is great because it will open so many doors. It will let you meet the right people. Like if you're just a people person, that's a gift. If you, you have a big social battery, that's a gift. Like that's, there's so many things that might seem small and you don't need to, you know, be on Forbes 30 under 30 and a super like get your startup acquired or whatever, you know, have millions of followers. Like that doesn't mean anything. And I mean, hi, again, like social media is such a highlight reel. So everyone deals with like stress and comparison. And I mean, even like when you said in the beginning of this episode, like every, like your living's like a dream type of thing today, I was like freaking out over my life and being like, what am I doing type of moment? And like, you wouldn't, I, I just based on what people post, like you don't necessarily think that. So I think it's really easy to get wrapped up in comparing yourself over what people want to share and are willing to share. But that doesn't mean that you're not successful or talented or anything like that. Truth. Well, where can we find you promote? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, you can download Rella or just start using Rella if you go to getrella.com or you can download us on the app store, just search Rella and it'll come up. Uh, it's really great if you're a content creator or like any manager or social media manager. Um, and then you can find me at Natalie Barbu across all platforms and you can listen to the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. Thank you so much. And guys, uh, if you are... The number one question I always get is, how do you get such great guests, right? So I've been working with MentorPass is a great app. So if you want to know that, if you have questions about your podcast, how do you get A-list guests? Like, what do you do? How do you reach out? Book a session with me. We also have merch designed by an incredible streetwear designer right here in LA. All, all of it is made locally. We've got t-shirts and we've got hats. So go check it out. Links below. And Natalie, thank you. And stay on for a sec. We're going to say goodbye right now, but we're going to play a little game after. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Welcome to Level Up in 10, where we're going to ask 10 questions designed to level up your game. Today, we have Natalie Barbu. She's a founder. She's an entrepreneur. She's a content creator. And are you ready? Yeah, let's do this. All right. How can a young creator with a small following get brand deals? Number one, have an engaged audience. So make sure that you you have a loyal, engaged audience and start meeting the right people. So pitch yourself via email and then try to get in front of them in person if you can, because that goes a long way. How big a following do you need to make $100,000 in the social media world? There's no definite number, but I think it could be anywhere as small as 5,000 followers. And you can make it if you have a very, very loyal audience and like a very specific niche that you're, you're kind of like an expert in. I think probably on average, I don't know, there's no average. I would say focus on that like strong community and you will find a ways to monetize and reach 100K before you know it. It won't take as long as you might think. What type of content Content works well on any platform. I think vlogs do well on any platform because it's getting people to get to know you and get invested in you. And then if they're invested in you, they will care about anything you have to say. Like that's how you get them to listen. How do young startup founders get funding? What tips do you have? It's all about who you know. And it's not, I'm not saying that in terms of like, you need to have a network existing beforehand, but you need to build a network. So start reaching out to any startup founder that has received funding and asking them to get 
on a phone and then introducing you to, to their investors and start reaching out to investors via any platform, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, reach out and meet them. So ask for a Zoom call, ask to get coffee, meet them, and just you have to get to know them. So you will talk to hundreds of people before you find investors. How can guys get more dates on the apps? Take initiative and ask a lot of questions. What are some new social media trends that you're seeing now? I'm seeing a lot more authentic content. So less scripted, less edited, kind of like you're on FaceTime with a friend. And I've been seeing that across all platforms, just more authentic, like you're just on FaceTime with someone. How can a founder who's not great at social media become a content creator? Post everything, even if you think it's bad. So your first piece of content will be bad, but if you continue continue to post, it will improve and start small, start answering questions about your product, start showing certain aspects of the behind the scenes about your company, start asking, answering questions that you wish that you had when you were starting your business. So kind of take it back to the beginning and create the content that you wish you saw. And don't worry as much about what it looks like or what it sounds like, just upload it and you'll get better over time. What is your morning routine? I wake up around 6.37 AM. I work out in the morning. I have a coffee and I eat breakfast and then I shower and get ready for the day. And that usually takes in total like two hours so that by like 9 a.m. I'm ready to just get started. But I already had two hours to myself, which is always really, really nice. What are some podcasts that every young entrepreneur should check out? Well, number one, Tom Ward Show. I've said it before, <laughs> I love it. Also in terms of being an entrepreneur, I love the Skinny Confidential is a good one. And then the In-Depth podcast is amazing. So In-Depth, it's specifically for startups and specifically for like tech founders. They address the most like niche issues and problems. And it's just so helpful because it's from hu these huge successful companies and they answer like all the questions you might be having and any issues that you might have as a founder and they do podcast episodes on it and they get really in depth, hence the name of the show. So it's great. And finally, if you want to become a full-time creator, how much content should we be pumping out a day? I think every day you should pump out content in terms of whether it's stories on Instagram or a TikTok or I don't think you need to be everywhere all at once. You don't need to have one TikTok, one story, one Instagram post, but you should be visible somewhere at least once a day. And I think stories is the easiest way to do that so that you can begin connecting with your audience. But a few times a week, I think for actual like in-feed content. So Instagram and TikTok, I would say like anywhere from three to seven times a week. That is the 10 questions. Hopefully they helped you level up your life. Thanks for watching, guys.